Welcome to the Drum Network podcast, everybody. I'm senior reporter for tech at The Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. Under the rubric of Web3, we've been promised a lot. Immersive entertainment, widespread decentralization, new ownership models, and countless other goodies. But are any of these things really around the corner? If they are, what does that mean for marketers? And if not, what should they be looking forward to instead? And I'm delighted to say that to discuss all that and more, I'm joined by four fantastic guests who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves now. So Lottie, could we start with you? Who are you and what does your company do, please? Absolutely. So um, I am Lottie West. Um, My role is Global Head of PR at Fox Agency. Um, So what we do at Fox, we're an integrated marketing agency um, specialised purely in B2B tech. Um, So the types of clients we work with typically are SaaS platforms, telcos, automotive, uh, fintech businesses, um, that kind of thing. Um, My role is really about heading up um, the PR division, so um, really guiding PR strategy for for clients. Um, But we're very much an integrated first agency, so a key part of my role is working with colleagues um, across the marketing mix, so particularly the digital team, you know, but also creative and strategy to really drive forward um, channel agnostic campaigns that are going to drive growth for our clients, um, you know, whether that's awareness or conversion or anywhere in between. Nice. Fantastic. Well, delighted to have you on the podcast. And Linda. Hello, my name is Linda Shaw, and I lead creative tech um, for Momentum Worldwide. And we focus on building brand experiences to get our clients' brands into people's hands and lives. And on my team, we leverage best-in-class talent across strategy, experience design, um, and creative tech to help future-proof all of our brands in the, this age of constant digital transformation. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, you said it. I mean, it's nonstop change, which is why I'm delighted that we can actually maybe try and put a little bit of timestamp on this, maybe make a bit of a time capsule. And Brian, could you take us through exactly who you are, what you do, please? Certainly. So I am Brian Yamada. I'm Chief Innovation Officer for uh, BML YNR. We're a global marketing, advertising, customer experience agency, um, and we build connected brands. Uh, my role is to look after emerging technologies, try to keep an eye on what's important for our clients to pay attention to or for us as an agency to begin to adapt our own capability. Fantastic. And last but not least, Russell, could you give us a quick introduction to who you are, please? Cool. Hey, hey everybody. Uh, I'm Russell Nuzo, um, head of uh, new media measurement at Gain Theory. Uh, at Gain Theory, we are a marketing effectiveness consultancy. Uh, so we're all about helping our clients understand how media and marketing and other business drivers uh, help impact their KPIs, sales, profitability, um, all those types of things. Nice. Well, it's great that we have you all here because there's a real breadth there of expertise when we come to talking about Web3 and tech. And so one of the things that we'd like to kick off with, one of the things that the Drums editorial team asked me to include in this is, purely anecdotally, based on what pitches we've seen coming through, it feels like the sheen has a little bit come off Web3 at the start of this year. And in fact, it's been almost entirely replaced, I think, email per email by people talking about AI. Now, in as much as there is you know, a, the possibility to separate the two out and say that they're two separate disciplines, to what extent do you think that that is true, that maybe some of the sheen has come off Web3 when we're talking about this for marketers? Russell, could we start with you? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that Web three was ever really a thing as a concept. Like it, it was a term, it was a vacuum term that then was going to pick up whatever technology was hot at the time and kind of going to run with it. Uh, blockchain and things like that came along, uh, and they quickly got kind of lumped in with that. But uh, and that's you know it's 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 making progress in fits and starts. There's obviously there's fraud. There's a whole bunch of things that are kind of going on in that space, whether you're in the in the crypto space or NFT. Uh, or anything else. So there's still a long way to go. But, you know, kind of quickly on the heels of that, you have things like AI and machine learning and 
you know, as you have kind of some of those stumbles in the blockchain space, you realize that maybe AI is going to play a role in there because maybe um, AI is going to be heavily leveraged to become potentially a new interface, you know, between people and the web, which is a very different role than what a blockchain type technology is probably going to do. Um, so in the end, it's going to be an amalgamation of all these things. Some things are going to drop out. Some things are going to pick up. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of fluidity um, going on right now. Nice. And I say this almost every episode, but I wish that we were including the video because everybody was nodding along there. So for the benefit of the listeners, there was a lot of agreement taking place. Um, Linda, I wondered then, to what extent is it almost a good thing that maybe some of the hype has come off when we're talking about the metaverse, Web3 in general, and we can maybe actually do some right-sized experiments without the kind of the, the laser-focused uh, hype of the industry? Yeah, I think like we often as a society just take really complex and nuanced things like Russell was saying and try to fit them under one large umbrella term because everything is just moving so fast and everything is coming together all at the same time. And when we talk about AI in today's context, we are most likely referring to generative technologies. And honestly, if the vision of Web3 is about connecting people, places, and things, then generative tech and AI is just another puzzle piece in this future vision. And I will say that what is really helpful about this kind of change in tide away from Web3 to more AI lingo is it means we're starting to actually take Web3 a lot more seriously. So we're now focusing more on this depth rather than just breadth. Like we're building the actual tools and the infrastructure of all of these smaller pieces that make up this larger Web3 pie. And the more and more people know about AI and generative tech, the more we can actually back these things up and actually test, learn, and continue to build. 100%. And I'm really delighted that you brought up some of those tools, and then we'll get into that as we go. And Lottie, when we're talking then about um, Web3 and its place within the current marketing sphere, do you think that there is a, a an expectation that we have to deliver already, or is it still a place for experimentation? Yeah, I think, I mean, sort of echoing um, some of what Linda says, I think, you know, that... It, it, AI feels like there's a kind of solid use case for that at the moment, whereas I think with Web3, it feels like it's still, or the kind of broader umbrella of um, Web3, it feels like there's, it's still a very exploratory space. And I think it's interesting looking at a lot of the, the bigger ad agencies and PR agencies as well. Um, people are beginning to dabble in that space. Um, you know, I think you know, there are some kind of early adopter brands that are, that are sort of starting to make strides forward um, in, in Web3. Um, and I think agencies are obviously kind of quickly scaling to, to be that one step ahead of clients. Um, you know, obviously, as an agency, we need to be kind of part of, of that wave. Um, but um, it does feel like it's um, a much more kind of exploratory space at the moment, whereas I think with AI, we're seeing much more kind of tangible benefits of how we can use that in our kind of day-to-day -day roles and lives. I was at the Meta Marketing Summit yesterday morning, and it was exactly that. People were saying, you know what, we can look at the shiny, the the generative AI side of this, which is really impressive tech, all we want. But in fact, people want those point solutions and brands particularly want to know how it's working for them in a very tangible sense. What do you think then are some of the best examples? Or rather, hang on, let me take a step back. Do you believe that we are still in a transition space where we are experimenting with Web3 in a way that is, I suppose, educational for agencies as much as for the brands who we serve? Well, I, I, I do think we're still, as everybody said, like, now honing in on those places where there, there's actual functional value or utility for our audiences. So we're past that FOMO stage where people were just rough, rushing in and you did an NFT because everybody was saying the letters. Uh, we're probably on the other end of that spectrum now where um, you don't really want to say NFT because it, it kind of has this, this negative connotation. But 
Um, so I, I do think we're in the, at the stage right now in terms of Web3 where we're looking for the places of value. And also, you know, kind of the way blockchain has been envisioned and framed is it's a, it's a, very, it's a very large thing. It's a very kind of revolution way of doing things, whereas a lot of the AI use cases that people have been experimenting with are very point specific and you can get, they can become very manageable things and you can build a small business around it and then it can eventually grow. Whereas like blockchain is always this, you know, kind of layer that's going to go across everything. And that's a very hard thing to, to really get to that point. Although if, if anybody's buying things online or yeah, any CPG goods, there's probably blockchain somewhere in the supply chain <laughs> that's getting you. So it, it is there. It is touching people. It's just it's not a consumer facing uh, revolution that's really going on. You don't need to have a digital wallet though to, to, to be touched by blockchain. See, that, that I think is so interesting because yesterday, one of the key points that kept coming up is uh, everything's AI, everything's experimental until it becomes utility, at which point it just becomes you know part and parcel of the wider way we do things. So, Linda, from what you've seen then, what are some of the best examples of those Web3 pieces of tech that we mentioned, whether that be blockchain, whether that be NFTs, whether that be kind of metaverse platforms being used by brands? What would you point to and say, well, look, this is either a fun experiment or potentially points towards the future? Yeah, I think just to back up a bit, I think to help our audiences get on the same page about all of these different terms, I think we can talk about the context of Web3 as how people will eventually connect and experience things in this future of the internet. And this really widens up this understanding of Web3 in general so that we don't limit ourselves to where we can draw inspiration from. And I think a really great example of Web3 tech and AI is actually NVIDIA's Earth2 project. Um, this is where scientists are building this AI supercomputer dedicated to potential solutions for climate change. And as a futurist and as a, another fellow human being living on planet Earth, climate change is just an increasingly complex and really important issue, obviously. And I'd like to see how we can maintain our planet for the future. And I know I'll be long gone by then, but if Earth is ruined, then there will be no more futures to predict, and then all of us will be out of a job. Um, but I think Earth 2 is extremely relevant because it does so well what so many Web3 projects really fail at today, and that's just being really relatable and user-friendly. Like you don't need any fancy coding skills or specific Web3 knowledge to really explore and use Earth2. And that's why we can utilize the many talented scientists who are on this project for the very thing that they're really good at, which is science. And when you take all of this like complexity and jargon out of the way, what you get is this really invaluable tool that can help us solve this major issue that's so important to so many of us. Um, just like for example, the average consumer doesn't need to know the entire tech stack behind their iPhone. Um, they don't need to know that something is labeled Web3 to really use and enjoy it. And in this way, uh, I think my advice for marketers is when your brand enters Web3, it's important to still remember to align your brand with your consumer's needs and desires so that your brand can be your audience's almost like foghorn into the future so that when your brand wins, so do you, all of your consumers. See, there's so much to unpack there. The first thing I want to unpack is why I laughed when you started talking about the existential threat of climate change. I think maybe it was laugh or cry at that point. So yeah, yeah thank you for, for teeing up so many of uh, those issues there. Lottie? Um, I think what's really interesting about Web3 um, is that there's a real marked contrast with the kind of advent of Web 2.0, because I think... Um, Slightly sort of reflecting Linda's point that, you know, we we will be starting to use Web3 as consumers and as end users without actually realizing we're doing so. I think the wide scale adoption of Web 2.0, 
you know, happened very quickly without people actually realizing it was happening. You know, in back in 2007, we were all using Facebook in our personal lives to connect with friends and family. And that really saw Web 2.0 grow, grow at pace. And I think with Web 3, it's not kind of penetrated that public consciousness to the same extent. Um, and we haven't really seen it enter the mainstream. And I think possibly where we'll see it um, enter the mainstream is actually through work rather than through our personal lives. Yeah. And I think there's some interesting things that, um, that B2B brands are doing um, in that space. So, um, you know, obviously the pandemic, you know, we've seen, you know, remote working accelerating at pace and that that hasn't gone away, you know, two years down the line, we're still all working remotely and connecting with our teams remotely in a way that we haven't done before. And I think you see things like Mesh by MS Teams, um, which is a product extension, which is really looking to shape, um, to reshape how we, how we interact in virtual meetings and make those feel much more like real interactions. Um, so I think that's the sort of thing where actually as end users, we might get more and more exposed to um, Web3 technology. And you even see businesses like Accenture um, who've created a whole virtual office where their staff can convene and interact. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's really interesting. And then of course, you've obviously got the, the training side of things where people are you know maybe doing kind of high risk jobs like you know surgery or engineering and learning those skills in the metaverse so it might be that it's one of those things that filters into our kind of broader life through what we're doing kind of in in a workplace setting before it kind of reaches consumers directly it's fascinating you said that i mean that that recreation of some real world environments or you know idealized real world environments with the metaverse basis has been fascinating to watch i only found out last year that second life still has a newspaper that gets published self second life inquirer it's, it's bizarre to me but you know people really enjoy it apparently brian as chief innovations officer then what have you seen brands experimenting with where have you seen people really pushing the envelope when it comes to web3 tech uh, well, specifically, if if um, like, and I I tend to think about Web three, and this is where definitions I think have gotten all muddled together, right? So, um, Web three, uh, we tend to talk about it in terms of blockchain related, where the broader metaverse term gets into you know adding uh, virtual, spatial, uh, augmented sort of layers, digital twins, as as Linda's referring to. So, if I if I'm thinking specifically around like the Web three applications and how, like how or where have things like NFTs or blockchain been used in interesting ways? Um, what what I think is interesting is that that concept of digital identity and why that's important to people. So the more the more time people are spending in digital environments, the more that their digital identities mean to them. Um, thus, the more important things like um, the flair, the decoration, the filters that, that live on top, whether those are augmented or elements that we're adding to our avatars, um, the more important those become. So I, I do think that's why we've seen things in fashion and beauty and luxury being those first movers within the category. Those are the things that help um, your digital identity stand out. And that's why we've seen some of the brands um, start to explore within those those areas. And I, I do think we'll start to see that more and continue to see that happen. Uh, I, I think we'll see an evolution of where that takes place in gaming especially as well oh yeah 100 um and it's, it's so interesting that even the kind of the luxury adjacent brands like obviously vogue is but you know they, they have set up an entire web3 division to look at yeah. how luxury brands are using this which is fascinating to me but russell then where yeah. where would you say there's still headroom for development in web3 particularly when it comes to marketing is it around the identity tech is it around you know 
adding utility to NFTs, as we've just recently had promised that that's going to come to fruition. Where do you really see there being headroom for more experimentation? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's a few areas. So one is it's it, whether this is exactly Web point three point or not, but NBA two K <laughs> on Nintendo Switch and the other platforms. The fact that you know the advertising that's happening in those games, you can obviously see where that's going to go. There's a there's a translation from that flat screen world to a metaverse or um, you know kind of a virtual reality world. That's that's certainly going to happen, and there's certainly going to be space for brands to play and advertise and, and build relationships with consumers there. Um, I think on the NFT space, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, at, at one side you can look at it as that's, that's frivolous. <laughs> it's kind of a frivolous space, but you know, the things that like Dolce and Gabbana and Nike and the NFTs that they're putting out there, um, they're super creative. And what they're actually doing is help kind of giving room for the NFT space to kind of evolve. They're kind of creating some space for it to breathe and be creative and they're growing talent base for people. So the technologists that are actually implementing those things in five, 10 years, they're going to be the ones that are actually building and actually making that, you know, kind of substrate that goes across everything. So that's eventually going to happen there. And then from a kind of media and marketing effectiveness standpoint, we're kind of looking at things as the integration between media and marketing and supply chain. So, you know, as, as we've seen, you know, past three years with COVID, supply chain is up and down all over the place of where there's product availability and where there's not. Uh, and there becomes that question of why overinvest in marketing in a place where supply is weak right now because of some structural problems that you have in your chain. Um, so being able to really pull those two things together, ensuring that marketing is kind of in line with where supply is actually happening, that's going to be you know, a huge, huge area of capitalization for, for marketers. Uh, you, you mentioned so many things that, that are effective, you know, step changes if they are deployed yeah. effectively for marketing. Linda, yeah. where do you see, you know, of, of the things that Russell's mentioned or even outside of them, where do you see there being, you know, much more room for experimentation or even for brands to further their role, you know, their, their previous investment in Web3 tech? Yeah, I think I agree with Brian and Russell. Like there's just so many talented people out there that are heads down building towards Web3 as a vision. And there's so many things to still iron out. Um and I was just, you know, talking earlier about this idea of like depth versus breadth and things like privacy, identity, ownership, creativity, like all in this more connected and hybrid world. And I think we don't have to wait for the final product to really enjoy something. Like, for example, like the home button on the iPhone um, was just like an important training exercise for the iPhone that we have today. But so many people still got to use and enjoy that original product, even though it wasn't technically finished. And technological change requires a lot of different technological changes to happen. And we're all still learning and experimenting. And back to Brian's point about this idea of identity, like I find that the most fascinating thing and pseudo not pseudo-anonymity, pseudo-anonymity, how people pronounce it, it allows identity to become really contextual rather than fixed. And I think that's just really amazing for our future generations and for Gen Z as they learn to discover themselves. Um, I mean, I'm still discovering myself. And I think it's just so amazing to see this kind of spectrum, how we can transform even now from a career professional to a pseudo-anonymous agent across a variety of different projects across the web and how persona is kind of like identity Legos. It's like building blocks that can be assembled and broken down in many different ways through emerging technologies on the blockchain and how persona really goes beyond just like verification. Like you can build the infrastructure for maintaining this identity life cycle, like collection, verification, investigation, decision-making, um, how identity isn't just this like point in time. Mm -hmm. It's not a one size fits all or transactional. Like who I am today is very different from who I am 
in the future, who I was a year ago, who I was as a teenager, like it's all dynamic and contextual. And this is a relationship that we're all learning to understand better. And as we move towards the future version of the internet, I think it's really exciting to see how we can, you know, manage our identity, see how we grow. And then maybe uh, future teens will find themselves sooner than we all found ourselves, which is, I think, something we can all relate to. Yeah, no, that, that, um, A, that's really, I suppose, aspirational optimistic, this idea that finally we can you know, recognize how modular identity actually is over the course of a person's life. And not to sound too you know, mercantile and, and mercenary about this, but that, there's, there's a tangible benefit there for brands to actually reach out and you know, keep up with their consumers in a way that they couldn't do before. But Lottie, yeah. I, I noticed you were nodding throughout that entire discussion. Where do you foresee that kind of the identity space going in Web3? Is there an opportunity there for brands to communicate more authentically, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I think that that whole digital identity piece is, is really interesting. And I think um, from a marketing point of view, what's really interesting about it is how hyper-targeted we can be with um, those individuals in a way that we've never, you know, it's we've been on that kind of incremental journey, you know, for the last you know, 20 years, I guess. But this is going to allow a, a level of, of targeting that we've never um, experienced before. And I think, you know, certainly kind of with a, with a PR hat on, you know, that's really interesting because I think historically with PR, there has been a kind of focus on you know, volumes and reach and, you know, that kind of broader, that big message going out to a broad audience, you know, which typically will have a degree of wastage, you know, but essentially, you know, it's about landing that right message with the right audience. I think it's going to require quite a gear change and quite a culture shift in terms of how we think about the effectiveness of PR. And if we are targeting much more small niche communities, but we're targeting exactly the right people. And I think, you know, that's a journey that PR historically has probably struggled with, um, you know, more than other, I guess, sort of newer, newer and more emerging um, areas of marketing. PR has always historically been about that, that broader reach. And I think, you know, that's, that's going to be something interesting is, you know, being able to be more targeted than we've ever been able to be before. Um, so that for me is the the sort of key takeaway there. Yeah, certainly. And, and Brian, then, of you know, we've touched upon so many different points there where actually Web3 Tech can benefit not just the individual, not just the individual consumer, but also the marketers and the brands who wish to speak to them. Where would you say the kind of the biggest opportunities there lie? Well, that's a big I, question. I, do, I know. Sorry. There is. Uh, there, there may be a couple of things there. One, I, I do think on the, you know, we, we talk about identity as, as uh, many me's, not one. So there's a spectrum that I totally agree with Linda that's, that's based on context. Um, you know, you're different with, um, colleagues at work than you are with your family, than friends, than a sporting event. Like we're, we naturally do that today. We intuitively do that. And that is also true in the digital environments that you're in. So you might choose to be a certain type of person. You might want to be uh, who you are in a certain game. You might want to be completely anonymous in another one. You might want to be a character that's human or completely not. Um, and, and I do think from a marketing standpoint that that brings two components. One, context matters, and you have to understand the nature of the environment you're, you're engaging in. Um, but it also creates higher complexity in terms of our understanding about the consumer, because we may be talking to the same person in different ways in those different places. Uh, and the aspect of data and the amount of consumer control that we have, especially in these environments where the people want to be more anonymous, I think is only going to complicate that further. So I think there's an opportunity for us to be more segmented. I think there is a big challenge there. Um, Wallets and identity may play a role in that. I think there's uh, still massive friction um, 
in terms of adoption. It's just not simple or easy to manage, but I think there are opportunities to understand how we can begin to move towards a more consumer controlled data management piece, but it can't be can't be cumbersome, can't be heavy. I can't have to make a million choices and have a uh, 10,000 buttons to click before I engage with a brand every time. We've got to figure out a better way for that user experience to come together. Well, Brian there has brought up something really important, which is there are pot- some potential roadblocks here to this all being developed. And, you know, there is the, the questions around data and actually, you know, to what extent we can control how people interact with one another on the on metaverse on web3 you know even using those wallets and identities could be a sticking point so i'm going to throw this out to whoever wants to take it what do you foresee as being some of the other big challenges that we have to grapple with before we can actually really start using some web3 tech effectively as marketers i think i think fraud and scams are of course out there um as uh, as as a problem in general within the technology layer um so that's that's certainly a, a big one out there but i think one thing that brian uh, hit on a second ago is use the term frictionless and I think that that's a great that's a great word that that's really what kind of Web 3.0 is kind of driving towards, just making things frictionless in many ways. Um, super important. Yeah, I think um, I think when we look at all these different terms together, I think emerging tech and trends like it's really easy for people to kind of group these things as the next the next big thing is just a fad or it's temporary. And as people who work in this industry, we know that a lot of the things that we touch can be really, uh, they just are a blip. Um, and I think it's like all of this, these conversations are really exciting to me because they're telling us that we can start taking things a lot more seriously. And I think it's also about like, you know, learning and experimenting and then seeing what lies in this future. Because, you know, we see that AI can usher in this era of autonomous marketing. And that's when we as marketers start to freak out because we're like, oh, it's coming for our jobs next. And then we get a lot more (laughs) invested in the whole process. And I think like that is what is really exciting almost. It's like, you have you heard the term like only in handcuffs can Houdini do magic? Like when we're we're up against the wall, then we become more creative and then we can al- unleash a lot more uh, creative products. So I think that's really exciting for the industry as a whole. Right. I hadn't heard that phrase, but I'm going to use that all the time from now on. So thank you for that. Um, and then as we sort of come towards the end of the discussion, I wondered to what extent are we optimistic then that we won't see our jobs subsumed by Web3 tech in the same way that I was just promised by the Wall Street Journal, that journalist jobs are going to get replaced. So thanks for that, Wall Street Journal. But to what extent do we feel like uh, we're going to use Web3 Tech to supplement and build upon what we already do within the marketing sphere? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really interesting question. There was um, something published um, by the CIPR um, a week or so ago about um, the role of AI in PR, um, which obviously made for sort of interesting um, slash alarming reading. Um, But I think, you know, ultimately, you know, there are a lot of tools that are emerging in this space as there are, you know, in pretty much every work environment, which are going to, you know, sort of help with our jobs and help enable our jobs. And I think ultimately, it's like what I was saying earlier, it will help us to make our PR activity more tailored and targeted, really drilling down to find the right audiences, tailoring our pitches to give them the most chance of landing. So I think there's definitely a role for this type of um, technology and growing in the PR space and helping to enable our jobs, bringing in, you know, more automation when it comes to reporting. But really what that's not going to take away is the human relationships and storytelling element of PR, um, much as ChatGPT wants to take away the, uh, the storytelling um, element of our roles, it's not as compelling as that human to human approach. I think, you know, there is still, I think what it's going to help with is give us more space to think more strategically, to connect more directly with people, because we're not spending all of our time, 
you know, frankly, doing admin and doing, you know, you know, doing work that's not actually landing results. You know, if we're able to be more targeted and more effective in the work that we're doing, then then that's great. And that really, I guess, helps us, um, you know, in being sort of laser focused and connecting with our audiences. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, in terms of how we how we deliver on a day to day basis. I'm not not concerned that AI is going to take away our jobs because I think that that human relationship point and that human insight is is never going to go away fist pump um but yeah russell how how optimistic are you then that we're going to see some real movement in this space that we can point to and say you know what five years from now we went oh this was a, an inflection point almost for us yeah i mean i i'm super optimistic i mean maybe i'm an optimist in general <laughs> so i see i certainly see that there's some threats out there but definitely definitely much more on the optimistic side because you can get my just you know just you know the the metaverse as soon as you put it on there's there's no horizon it's all of a sudden you're in an infinite space uh, so there's, there's really a lot to potentially be developed, uh, out there that again, you know, we don't, we don't know exactly what it is at this point, but, um, um, I, I think that's, that's obviously going to be huge. And I, I think, you know, going back to kind of the, the identity and private and privacy space, I think it's, you know, as we get, as things get more honed, so kind of, you have the combination of like blockchain and AI, you know, where you have these anonymized people and then you have AI developing ways to reach out to those anonymized people. Um, there's still the, the kind of a rub of even though there's privacy, there's intrusion. And so then it becomes a, a weird kind of different thing where AI can be trying to, you know, capitalize on things that maybe people don't want it to capitalize on. Uh, so really, there's going to be kind of a management, uh, a layer that happens in there. But, you know, I, I think it's it's um, there's much more upside uh, than there is downside. I don't know what that inflection point is going to be. But it's going to be there. <laughs> Good. Good. And so two really optimistic responses there, which I'm glad to hear. Brian, from VMLYNR's point of view, do you see that we'll be able to look back and sort of say, you know what, we really took advantage of this in the way that was, you know, that made a difference, a tangible difference to consumers and brands alike? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, you know, Web3 blockchain really needs its chat GPT moment. Like large language models have been around for years. <laughs> then suddenly it's exploding because the interface is super simple. And people can immediately see the benefit and the surprise and uh, the novelty of that. So, um, you know, it, it drove massive adoption in days because of that. And I, I do think we'll find once we overcome, especially this, the usability layer, and we think about the ease of access. And I'm, we're highly optimistic. I mean, the second half of last year saw a drop in investment in Web3 as a whole, but it was still $5 billion. You know, still, then there were $10 billion in the first half of the year in this space. So like the dollars are going in. So we're going to solve for the ease of um, creation, the speed of creation and how easy and simple it is to create in spatial, how easy it is to build on the blockchain to mint. Um, we'll solve for things like cross-platform access and our operability. We'll increase like the speed, the scalability and lower the cost of transactions. Like all that stuff will happen because the, the dollars going in. But I think once we get through the ease of access and get approachability for the masses, I think that's when that's when it will really scale spark yeah and i think i think reddit has like two million digital wallet users currently and that's it's blockchain it's nft but they don't label it that way at all it's just there and it's millions of people accessing uh so as of today not to date the episode but as of today mckinsey's predicted that the metaverse economy could be worth five trillion dollars by 2030 now quite have they arrived at that figure i'm not sure but it does speak to as you mentioned the level of investment and level of excitement around some of this tech 
Yeah, I am ever the optimist when it comes to technology. So I'm happy I'm in good company here. Um, and I think, you know, to be honest, we may not even call this Web3 at all in the next few years. It could just be the internet again and just bigger and better. And I think in this way, we may never reach this like true version of whatever Web3 is supposed to be right now because there's so many variables and twists and turns. Like you could even say that actually Web3 is more aligned with the original, original version of the internet where anyone could do anything, anywhere, anytime. And nowadays, our internet is really dominated by a lot of corporations and firewalls. So um, I don't know how fast and how close we'll be getting to this current version of Web3, but I know that as we keep moving ahead to this, ne this next version of the internet, this will work for us as a society. And as society keeps evolving, so will this internet. Um, and I think as a whole, like marketing as a whole, this goes back to this idea of community. Like I think it will always be about community, full stop. Um, and to Russell's point at, um, I think at Reddit, they have this this idea of a MVC, like a most viable community. And it's about a thousand true fans because it's nothing can take off without a crowd of believers behind it. And community is just this gift that keeps on giving. Like no matter how much this version of the internet grows up, people will still want to connect and have something to stand behind. So I have yeah. very optimistic about all of this. Well, that is a maybe the most optimistic podcast that we've ever done for the Drum Network. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we have sort of come to the, the end of our time together. And I do want to thank you all so much for coming on and providing a holistic, even if it was a little bit whistle-stop by nature of, you know, trying to talk about Web3 in its entirety, um, tour through everything that's going on with this and what it means for marketers. So for anybody who wants to pick your brains about any of the things that you mentioned, and maybe go into greater depth than we could in this podcast, where would be the best, where would be the best place for them to reach out to you? Lottie? Um, yeah, happy for anyone to connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, and drop me a line through there or um, come to the fox.agency website um, and uh, get in touch through there. Fantastic. And Linda? Um, I'm not on any social platforms anymore, but you can find me on Discord. <laughs> I go by Devicey. <laughs> and uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, of course, Linda Shaw. Fantastic. I think that might be the first Discord chat we've ever had as well. So that's fantastic. That's another one to add to the list of platforms. And Brian? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the, the easiest. I feel like Discord will probably scare a lot of your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, I've had a couple of, I've spoken to a couple of agencies who are doing Discord training for brands. So yeah, potentially this time next year, we'll all be on there as well. And Russell? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn. And then also the company website, game3.com. You can find me through there and through uh, New Business Outreach. Fantastic. Well, thank you all so much for providing your insight for this episode of the Drum Network podcast. Um, for the listeners, please do stick around. Go to thedrum.com where we write about Web3 and all aspects of media marketing almost every single day. So that's thedrum.com or you can find us on our social channels at The Drum. But for now, thank you so much, Lottie, Linda, Brian and Russell. And thank you for listening as well. Goodbye. <laughs>